welcome to the Crazy Dre Podcast Show, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. This is your main man, Crazy Crockett, a.k.a. Andre's Podcast. Today, folks, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try to uh, do a podcast by myself, for myself, and for you. Now, today was going to be, or last night, and today was supposed to be with me and Ron, but my other microphone broke. The SQR2 or something. It was a cheap microphone. It was... Was it worth it? Yes, for the first podcast, first year and a half, the uh, the the microphone did its service. But folks, not 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 much of you guys know who I am, and I need to kind of more introduce myself to you guys and girls. This podcasting thing is very difficult because there's so much I have to do to try to reach out much of my audience who are very vast and different like I said before my podcast is really about everything if you listen to my podcast at the Crazy Dre Podcast Show you know that I'm a person with a disability I'm a person that has a lot of interest in politics, science uh, sports, I'm a sports fanatic I'm kind of a history buff but not quite to the point where I know a lot of my facts I, I like to try to keep up with things I want people to understand that people with disabilities have a voice. And I wanted people to know that even though I have a voice, or even though we have a voice as, as people with disability, a lot of times people just ignore us. So my job here is to try to to express my thoughts and ideas. So if you're coming from Facebook, or you're coming from Twitter, or the new X, whatever you want to call it, if you first-time listeners, give me a shot, give me a chance. Uh, I try to make a podcast every Thursday and and Monday morning. And usually, my Sunday mornings are usually politics and and things that are are issue in everyday life. And I do that with Ron. Usually, I I I, I usually record that those episodes about Saturday night or or even or even Sunday morning. I I record it with them. And sometimes I do that so that it can compete with people who are based on science, with based on science or news and so on and so forth. So I want to elaborate on that idea. I want to be able to tell people what I think about politics and what's going on with the, with the United States of America and what, in their election years that's coming up. But I'm also more likely more to do more sports stuff with my friend Sean. Sean and I are basically uh, two guys that met at a hospital, and we basically have the same type of interest, basketball, football. He's a Michigan State fan. I'm a Michigan fan. I'll get to that point of Michigan uh, football drama. Um, but right now, let's just get to the point. So, today is Saturday night. I'm going to probably air this on Sunday morning for you guys and gals. And then, no, I'm sorry, today is Friday night. I'm a day ahead. Today is Friday night. This is going to air on Saturday morning for all you peeps on, on the street. Thank you, Jesse and Gina, for making that up for um, the old school PVP and boyfriend versus girlfriend. I can't seem to get that out of my head. So, here we go. So, let's talk about U of M football. Jim Harbaugh. A lot of people don't like Jim Harbaugh. Uh, I know Sean doesn't like Jim Harbaugh. I know Sean doesn't like uh, Michigan at all. Um, I think, I think the Harbaugh's or especially Jim gets a lot of bad rap, and I think his personality struggles with a lot of people. He's not a very <clears throat> outgoing personality with strangers. I think he's very. Uh, controlled person. He leads things in a certain way. Uh, I think when things don't go quite his way, things can get can get a kind of um, a fumbly, a fumble type situations. And that word doesn't make any sense. But when things don't go his way, he changes stuff. He doesn't like to elaborate with uh, with the broadcasters or other people. 
in the Big Ten or other comp, uh, teams or 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 anyone out there who are who is competing against him. So so let's be real. Jim Harbaugh is old school. Keep to himself. He's going to coach his team the way that he wants the team to be coached. He's going to uh, have the players and the coaches do exactly what he wants them to do. And it's a very ABC system. And and let's be real. A lot of times people give Michigan a lot of bad rep. And I think it's because we're that good. We've been a, one of the best teams for the last 60, 70 years. Yes, I know we lost to Ohio State 10 years in a row. But overall, we're probably one of the best teams out there in college football. Thanks to Bull Shedblacker, who came from Ohio State. And then went to Miami, Ohio. And then got the job at Michigan in the, in the 60s. So... What should we talk about about the scandal? The scandal is something that people do not want to let go of Michigan for cheating, stealing signs, and everyone's making a mess out of this. Now, if you're not into sports, you're not going to understand any of what it was saying or what I'm saying. So if you're not into sports, you say, how could Jim Harbaugh cheat? How could this possibly happen? Well, it's easy. You do your studies. You do your, you know, you practice. You look at um, old film. You look at, you look at everything. You look at the games that that team played the night before or the week before, depending if it's, depending if it's, if it's basketball or football or hockey, you just that's part of the scouting. And with baseball, you will understand that certain pitchers throw certain pitches. And when you can get a head of the pitcher and understand what throws or what pitches he's going to throw, is that considered cheating? Probably not. Some people might. In hockey, you got five different, you have five different lines of players coming in, or four, depending on the team. And then you can understand the system that they are in, and then you can steal signs by what they do and who's on the ice. And in basketball, certain players, certain teams run certain plays. So what happens? What happens is that that team in itself will run a certain play with LeBron James or with Kevin uh, Kevin Durant or even Kyrie Irving or anybody. But you know something? That's how you scout. You scout the team. You can send people to games. You can send coaches to games or ex-players that are part of the team now and watch the game and you can scout them out. In college football, it's the same thing. Okay, there's one thing different about college football and professional football is that technically you're not really supposed to do something like that because is it, it is it okay? Is it not okay? Well, I think the way that it happened was that a coach from Michigan decided to buy tickets and sit on the sideline of the team. And when you do that, when you do that, you create problems. And that problem is this. Is that when you buy tickets and you sit on the sideline or you buy the sideline of the other team, that's concerning to be real iffy. But to me, it's not iffy at all. Because people buy tickets all the time. People watch other teams all the time. People scout on teams all the time. Now, the Big Ten has a lot of problems with, well, I say the NCAA has got a lot of problems with the Big Ten. 
And it's the fact that the Big Ten isn't built like the SEC. So we're not always going to have teams who are going to be in the playoffs. Like Alabama, like LSU, um, USC, that's the old Pac-12. Washington from the old Pac-12 that's coming to the Big Ten. You're just not going to see that out of the big, the old Big Ten. The old Big Ten is based on one team. And it's that, no, two teams, U of M and Ohio State. And then if some other team from that Big Ten makes it to the playoffs, one of those four teams, Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State, uh, I don't know, Minnesota or Michigan State, or whoever is the fourth team, is going to probably get the, get the butts kicked. So, the problem that you have with this allegation is that is that you're assuming that that Michigan is the only team that cheats, and it's been proven that Ohio State, Rutgers, and Iowa and Purdue have all got together and and traded notes about U of M of Michigan's signs, and that in itself is cheating in itself. If you're a, a coaching staff, or you're under, or you do things based on coaching, you see that those teams are working together to be the greatest team in his Michigan. Now, U of M would never trade signs with with Ohio State to beat TCU, but basically that's what happened. Ohio, Ohio State gave the signs to. Gave the signs to TCU to beat Michigan in the bowl game of last year, 2022. Now, that in itself is ridiculous, because because if you're telling me that that's what Ohio State did, then Ohio State is actually the problem, and the problem is this: they got caught cheating. Watching signs of Michigan, Urban Meyer had someone on their staff watch everything but everything Michigan. Their the games that they played, um, TV and probably other games in itself. Uh, probably stole signs at one point, but they didn't get caught. But what the thing is, what I'm talking about is the two teams that Ohio State and Michigan are the only teams back then that would actually make it to. Uh, one of the main bowl games, or one of the one of the two spots, or four spots of the playoffs. So, if you eliminate Michigan and Ohio State loses two, two games in a row, you're gonna have. There's not gonna be anyone representing the Big Ten. So, so basically, by punishing Michigan for something that other teams have done in the past, is kind of an oxymoron. You can't just punish Michigan for what they did. You have to punish all the other teams that did the same thing to Michigan for TCU or for all the other teams in the Big Ten. And I think it's even 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 Desmond Howard said this on ESPN. And he said, if, if, if let's say Alabama and Kentucky got caught for something like that, they would never, ever, ever uh, punish Alabama or Kentucky for those reasons because it'd be against everything about Alabama and everything about Kentucky. And it wouldn't be fair, supposedly. But, of course, if Alabama got caught cheating, would they still have the same consequences that Michigan would, is going through right now? Probably not. That's what I'm trying to talk about or talk or, or say is that both teams, all these teams are actually going out of the way to get ahead of the curve, trying to, to find ways to beat their opponent. Now, I'm going to be honest. There's probably teams out there that have done this in the past for the new like the New England Patriots they stole signs from the Jets and and Bill Belichick got caught 
But in reality, the the Patriots was so much better team than any New York Jets team at any time during the during the Tom Brady era. That I don't think it would matter if he did or did not cheat to get ahead of ahead of the curve. Now they're going to protect certain teams. They're going to protect the Patriots during the time the Tom Brady era. I think that Alabama will be protected if they got caught cheating. I think Kentucky basketball would get would get protected for cheating. I even think Duke basketball with Coach K still there would have been protected. Protected from not being in the NCAA March Madness tournament. Now, saving would be the playoffs because that is the Alabama football. It seems as though because Jim Harbaugh isn't a a people person or I would say a people pleaser, he's not there to make the announcers and the and the broadcasters and the media feel like they're his best friend. That's not important to Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh is just as competitive as Bo Blacker, maybe even Michael Jordan, because Michael Jordan would cheat in certain ways during the game. He would push. He would have a way of pushing players off him, but that's not cheating supposedly because that's Michael Jordan. Now, if that was another player at the time, like Clyde Drexler, at Michael Jordan's era, he probably would have been caught for pushing a player off. And if you don't know what play I'm talking about, I'm talking about the 1998 NBA Finals when when Michael Jordan took his last shot with the Chicago Bulls against Russell. I forget his first name. I think that is his first name. But it was the shot of the century for the Chicago Bulls. It was the last time you're ever going to see Michael Jordan. And he pushed that player off him. Now, Michael Jordan would tell you, my momentum took me to that position. So, in his momentum, the defender, Russell, was moving that direction anyways. So, how could it be a push? How could I be cheating? But that's basically any way, any form, a way of trying to get ahead of your opponent is how you're going to win the game. Wars are fought the same way. You're going to talk about, you know, the Russians and Americans fighting against the Germans and Italy during World War II. There's going to be ways to actually get ahead of your enemy to defeat the enemy. To defeat the enemy. But. You're telling me. That all these. All these high school. And. and, um, High school and college sport. And even the professional sports. You're telling me that. From this point on. You cannot watch film. You cannot watch. Last week's film. Of that team who played the Bears. Think about Detroit Lions, folks. Think about this. Detroit Lions is 6-2. They got a big week this week. They got against the Chargers. And Chargers is a tough team. You got Justin Herbert. You got uh, uh, their star running back, Akers. Not Akers. Yeah, it's Akers. But think about this. You have this really good team. And they don't have their main receiver, Mike Williams. And and the Chargers, they have a better quarterback. In my eyes, they have a better quarterback. But you're telling me that that the Detroit Lions and Jerry Goff can't look at or watch film of the Chargers from last week or two weeks ago or three weeks ago or a month ago. And you're going to tell me that if they catch something, that they're not going to figure out what's wrong or what's going on with the Chargers? Same thing with the Chargers. you telling me that they're not going to look at film against teams that beat Detroit? Look at Baltimore. 
Baltimore Ravens beat the snot out of Detroit. True story. I remember it. I watched it. It was a game that was supposed to be a lot closer than what, and it was. So it was the Baltimore Ravens against Detroit Lions, and the Detroit Lions were at the, at Baltimore Ravens Stadium. And I'm going to tell you something. John Harbaugh probably looked at film. His defense line looked at film. His safeties and cornerbacks looked at film. And they beat Detroit to their spot. Every spot, every play, they beat Detroit to it. They blitzed Jared Goff at least six, seven times. They they sacked him about at least five times. I mean, I think they sacked him at least six times in that game. But that's what good coaches do. They look at film. They look at the, their, you know, their opponent. They put things together. They put a playbook together. And then they tell their players and the coaches how to execute. And that's really what coaching really is about. Coaching isn't about feeling bad about feeling bad about beating your opponent. It's just not. Your job out there is to destroy your opponent. And even Bill Belichick, even though a lot of people don't like Bill Belichick, probably one of the greatest coaches of all time for the New England Patriots. And of course, no one likes Tom Brady either because he's the golden boy. He looks like a Ken Barbie doll, for God's sake. But you know what? I'm going to tell you the truth. Bill Belichick said, it's not my job to help the other team win. It's not my job to decide how big or how lost, how big of a win that game is because the other team sucks. Well, he doesn't say sucks, but bad. And to be honest with you, Bill Belichick gave you guys straight, narrow, boring, answers to your questions because that's part of the game plan. The game plan isn't to give out notes to the media. The game plan isn't trying to make uh, uh, Adam Shuffler from ESPN give the inside track to give to Baltimore Ravens or to Miami Dolphins against the Patriots during the era of Tom Brady or even against Peyton Manning of the Colts or the Denver Broncos when he was when he won his second Super Bowl it's just not what it is being sports is about competition sports is about uh, to me sports is very good it teaches to be a winner and it teaches to be losers and I picked a team that's very good in college football when I was a little kid because I liked their helmets I liked the fact that they won I didn't know why they won when I was five, six years old or seven years old. You know, I I got I understood football for what it was because I used to play football in the backyard with my neighborhood friends. But I love Michigan. I've always will and I always will be. And a lot of it probably has to do with my favorite color is blue. But but Michigan at the time when I was a little kid with Bo Schembecker was the greatest thing that ever happened in the state of Michigan. And I'm going to tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. The reason why Michigan is so important to the state of Michigan as a college football team, the reason why that's so important is because the Detroit Lions, from the time of 1957 to this present day, has never won another championship or a Super Bowl in the Super Bowl era. So... To fill the gap up in the 1960s when Bo Schepler came in, they, he changed the program around a lot like a lot like Vince Lombardi for Green Bay Packers. And he didn't demolish other teams in the NFC back in the, in, the, in, in the 1960s. Okay? And the, so, so, the, so the amazing blue of Michigan football is our professional football team in the state of Michigan. It's not the Detroit Lions. Now, Detroit Lions are doing a lot, more, a lot better than they were in the past, but this is usually what happens to Detroit. They have about two good years. And I'm going to remind you people that in 1990 and 1991, Detroit Lions were pretty good. And in 1991, when they had Barry Sanders and Herman Moore 
and Johnny Morton and Scott Mitchell and Eric Kramer. I think Eric Kramer passed away, or he's stressing, or else he's going through a lot of um, um, mental um, disabilities. I think he gets a lot of panic attacks and stressed out, stresses out about that stuff. So if you got mental health issues, uh, please see someone. You're not alone. Everyone has the same problems. I have problems with being disabled. Sometimes I feel sorry for myself. Whatever. But it's nice to have friends to talk to. But at that era, with Barry Sanders and Herman Moore and Scott Mitchell and Eric Kramer and Brett Premium, Detroit Lions were the team to the team that never won anything. Now, I will say this, folks. Today's Detroit Lions is a little different. We don't have that star running back like Barry Sanders. We don't have Calvin Johnson of the of the 2000s and 10s. We don't have that star athlete. We have Sam Brown. He's very good. He's very small. He's very quick. He's very, you know, he's really fun to watch. You had Jared Goff who was traded uh, from the Rams to Detroit for a fair trade of Matthew Stafford. It's about the same type of quarterback. They sit in the pocket. I would say Matthew Stafford has a little bit stronger arm and a little bit more will and probably a little bit more confident in throwing the football in certain spots that it seems like Jared Goff can't get that get to that point. But I can't tell you if he can never get to that point or not because because it hasn't happened yet. It has not happened yet. So so this is this is something to consider. When you're Dan Campbell you got your first real head coaching job. Do you play fair and do you not look at film and do you not kind of cut corners and figure out what your opponent is doing or do you or are you like the old Detroit Lions teams that you tell your players try your best do their best and hope for the best no that's not what you do so if you're Dan Campbell, this is what you do. You look at film. You correct those. You correct those things on your team. And I'm going to tell you this: the one reason why this Detroit Lions football team might be better than than the, than the 1991 football team with Barry Sanders is this: because they have safeties and D backs that can defend anyone's wide receivers or tight ends. I think it's going to take time, but the difference between this team and the team of 20 years ago is the defense. And the defense is always going to win championships. You're always going to give your safeties and D-backs the advantage of watching or figuring out what every receiver that you play against does. Does he run to a slant? Does he run to a certain spot? When the when it's third down, when it's second down, when it's first down, what are your receivers going to do? What is the other team going to do? How are they going to run their offense? And that's something I would say this. Detroit's defense is something fun to watch. And I have not mentioned Hutchinson yet because there's no reason to. Because he doesn't have to do everything. Just like Chris Spielman doesn't have to do everything for that for Detroit as a linebacker. There's just so much more advantage that Detroit has. It seems like they're on the same page. It seems like they're uh, together and focused. And all they have to do is do better diligence on play calls. And you know what? I'm going to tell you this. I have not yet given crap to Jared Goff on this live podcast. Thank you, Pop Bean, again. I have not talked about this. But Jared Goff. I think the reason why the Rams got rid of Jared Goff because he's not the same quarterback on the road. He really isn't. He's very hesitant. He sometimes I feel like he maybe or maybe not 
audible plays that are probably going to work, or maybe he audible out of plays that that are supposed to work. I don't. I really don't know. But it's amazing how Jared Goff is a whole different player at home and away. And I think I think that one of the best things for Jared Goff on the road is have a three-step system. It's kind of like the West Coast offense of Bill Walsh and the 49ers. Your running backs are going to be very important to get you four or five yards. So you got Gibbs, you got David Montgomery. You got those two guys. You have to stick to the running game because if you go away from the running game and you throw the football all the time, you're going to have a defense that's going to play three and eight or a nickel, a dime, or even a partial uh, man-to-man or partial between a nickel and dime defense where there's not going to be too many pockets. So if you're down third down and eight, third down and nine, if the team plays a partial nickel, partial four, th- three, four, and you only throw the ball five yards and you need eight yards, the most likelihood that we don't have our receivers that can break tackles. And one thing that's different about this team than the 1990 team is that Herman Moore could run a dash and be one-on-one. And then you had Brett Premium on the other side. And he was more, well, some people would say he was more of a slot receiver, but he could play, he could be the other receiver that ran deep. And Johnny Morton, if I if if I remember right, he was more of a slot receiver. Or maybe it was just the other way around between Johnny Morton and Brett Premium. Maybe Brett Premium was the slot receiver and Johnny Morton was the other receiver that they went deep. But the one other thing that's different about Detroit in this team, in this team is that I don't remember Detroit using a tight end that much. They usually kept the tight end for the, you know, for, to block. But that's that's my gimmick on coaches. Coaches have to like Detroit Lions in the past used to never change their playbook. So every week teams would figure out what is going on. And sometimes Detroit can be really really predictable in the past. Now with this new offense coordinator, this guy's phenomenal. He's changing things up. He doesn't play, uh, make the same calls. Depending on the team, you might have to make the same calls or same play calls because the other, if the other team can't figure out what you're doing or can't tackle, then why do you go away from Then stay with something that works. Don't go away from the things that don't work. Stay with the things that work. So, so you have to understand that that Dan Campbell. I wish this was his second or third job as an NFL coach, because he would figure out what to do with the timeouts. He would figure out when to use certain players in certain situations. And the longer, but the longer that you become, you become a coach, the easier I think it. it it helps you to draft players, to trade players, to give players a second chance, to do whatever you have to do to make your team win. Now, I do think, of course, Dan, Dan Campbell was an offense tight end back in his day, but I feel like a lot of his energy is very, uh, very defensive, defense type of mentality. And I can't because I, I, I don't know. But I, sometimes I think that he doesn't. I, I, I just don't know if he could uh, make play calls without certain coaches there. I just don't know. But the thing I'm trying to say is this. As a coaching staff, it doesn't matter if you're Jim Harbaugh or John Harbaugh or it doesn't matter if you're Bill Walsh. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're Chuck Daly of Detroit Pistons in the 80s. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're Monty Williams of Detroit now. You're going to watch film and you're going to figure out how to t- defeat your opponent. And that is not cheating. That's just doing your diligence. Now, 
I think every team should be able to go to other teams, opponent teams, and watch that those games because that's part of scouting. You you scout players, you scout plays, you scout the other team, and that's just the way it's supposed to. And to be honest with you, I keep saying to be honest with you like it's, it's repetitive. I don't understand why I do that. But if you can't handle losing and you can't handle Michigan winning or Ohio State winning or or Kentucky basketball winning or Alabama winning or Detroit Pistons or the old Chicago Bulls winning, if you can't handle it, then don't watch sports. And sports, to me, is kind of a very healthy thing to do. And I'm, I, I think that, in some ways, sports, for men, is very old school, kind of like every child that becomes a boy, that becomes a man, goes through that testosterone era of their lives to be compete. And to compete and to win and to beat the other team, to beat the other person. It's very natural for men to do that because it's part of their DNA. And that's why we love sports because it gives men or boys the avenue to to test their masculinity or their or how well they compete with their opponents. It shows people where they're at that level of of the homo sapien. Some guys are gonna be soft and not be really competitive, but they might be very good at science or math or any or reading or or, or literature. Well, literature and reading is the same thing, but it's a very healthy way to express yourself in the masculinity of today's society. Now, if you're a sports fan and you do fan doing draft kings and you gamble, yeah, that's part of your testosterone. That's how you we compete. We want our teams to win. We want to put parlays together to win. But if you can't handle losing five bucks or two bucks or 30 cents, you shouldn't be playing. Competition is part of human nature. And that's something that we should never, ever, ever go away from. Because being a man is a good thing. It really is a good thing. And that's what sports does. So it really doesn't matter if Jim Harbaugh cheats. It doesn't matter if Urban Meyer cheats. It doesn't matter if if Nick Saban cuts corners or or Bill, or Bill Belichick during the era of Tom Brady did. That's what competitions are about. And that's how we... Sh- and that's how we... And that's, how, that's just how we fulfill our our manhood because someday we'll be too old to win we'll be too old to lose we won't care about winning because someday when you get too old the only thing that you're going to care about is your family or your friends or or watching your kids grow up or you know you're going to grow old with your spouse if you get married or you have a spouse great but it all ends at one point so, if you're, I, I just think it's dumb that people are throwing things out there against Jim Harbaugh or the Big Ten because we did something what other teams have done in the past. So be it. And to be honest with you, I think sports in some ways have kind of saved my life because it gives me an avenue to, to express my competitive nature. You know? I mean, I'm never going to be a basketball player. I'm too short. I don't have a really left hand, so I can't dribble with my left hand. I can't hit a baseball. I'm too slow. I can't keep up with a 95-hour uh, fastball going down the middle. can't do it. But you know what? But you know what? I'm going to tell you something. I like I like sports because it's fun. It really is a lot of fun. I like to watch other teams win. I like to watch the underdogs win. I like to watch things that are not supposed to happen and they happen. Look, I'm a big, huge Bryce Harper fan. I really, he takes me back 
of players that love to play baseball. He's aggressive. He hits home runs. He runs to first base. He runs. He just does everything the way that baseball should be played. Now, some people consider him a kind of a jerk. He got traded, or he didn't sign with Washington Nationals the the year be, uh, the year that he left. The Washington Nationals won the World Series, but tell you the truth, that's. That's why we watch sports. We watch sports because it gives us, the guys who can't play sports, an opportunity to to be competitive. And our team, when our team wins, it's great. When our team loses, it sucks. But, look, there's more things to life than winning and losing. So, please, get over it. Just get over it. It's okay. So, moving on. We should talk about what else. What else should I talk about? Should I talk? Oh, so, besides sports, let me tell you something. I got my first tattoo. My first tattoo is a Guns N' Roses tattoo. My the guy that I went to is the Meeting House tattoo on Phone Street, Grand Rapids, Michigan. God bless. Thank you, guys. Out there, I think his name is Daniel again. Um, great guy. Uh, I met him through a friend of mine who's got tattoos everywhere. And I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I love tattoos on people. I really, really do. And I don't know why. I never really wanted a tattoo for myself because I'm not a rock star. I don't play instruments, so I don't have a band. I'm not in the military, or I've never been in the military. I'm not a criminal. I've never been in prison. But I like tattoos. I think they're super cool. They're, I don't know why I like tattoos so much, because what you're doing to your body is really kind of not good, I guess. Some people think, well, that's God's body. Why would you pollute your body? Because your body is supposed to be pure. But it's an expression. I think a lot of times people understand that. That that's the way people express themselves. Some people express themselves through music. Some people express themselves through art. And tattooing is a new art form or an old art form from the from the old native Indians and native uh, 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 tribal groups of the eastern hemisphere of the world. But for some reason, I really want to get it on my own tattoo. It's not exactly the same Guns N' Roses tattoo that. I that that you see on 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 their records. Now the the tattoo that I really wanted to get was the old was the original cover of After Destruction. It was a girl who was partially topless. There was a machine and she was against the wall and the machine was on it was like eight feet tall. And it was trying to find her. It was like almost like a, a an AI machine trying to destroy humanity. But that's kind of the tattoo that I really wanted. But I didn't get it because I didn't want to censor that. I didn't want people. I didn't want to hide it all the time when I went to work, or when I go somewhere that you might want to cover up a little bit. So I got this unique tattoo. I got two guns. Uh, facing each other, and I got the rose, and I got the GN, the GNR, F and roses, and Daniel, who who did my tattoo, asked me why I wanted Guns N' Roses tattoo, and I tell you the truth, that Appetite to Destruction album was the best album of all time. It's it just got me to love Guns N' Roses, even though people say, oh, Axe Rose is an asshole. I can't do nothing about that. I really can't. But let me let me go through the songs of of Guns N' Roses. Uh, let me go here. Let let me look this up. Uh, appetite. 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 Destruction. 
let's go songs let me find it I have to find this first mm, appetite destruction let's do see they don't even have the original cover oh they do have the original cover this cover is the best cover ever this machine I wish they had the original cover to this album because I would buy I don't care what people tell me I would buy this album for a hundred or two hundred dollars if you have that cover from Guns N' Roses you are a very very lucky man or a lucky or a very lucky woman so let me go let's uh, songs let me go to the songs alright alright here we go the first art so obviously most of you guys know welcome welcome to the jungle great song great entrance one of my favorite things about that song was Axel Rose saying you know what time it is it's time to wake the F up and then it goes into slashes guitar riffs and the drums come in and just goes crazy great video Axel's getting off the bus looks around he's got his uh, cheetah or leopard skin um, um, suitcase uh, a complete stranger who was not even supposed to be in the video goes up to him asking him for a dollar or something I don't know what it was that probably drugs and then it goes into this the song in itself and and by the middle of the song or the end of the song Axel is in a in a jump in a white jumpsuit or is it kind of like one of those suits white suits that they tied up your arms and you can't move your arms and you can't move your body but it's a it's what they used to do at mental institutions to try to control people who were going crazy or mad. So, but I remember watching that video and it was so funny to me to see Axe Rose put makeup on, look like uh, one of the 1970s glam rock, um, uh, rock stars. And, the weird thing about it is like I knew that wasn't what Axel was trying to do because at the time hair bands well hair bands were just coming in or just making them well at the time when when that album became huge hair bands guys in glitter and, and makeup was obnoxious the reason the only reason why I like the album so much is because every song out there has an element of truth where Poison songs are goofy, uh, high schoolish songs that don't mean nothing, but it's very poppy. Bon Jovi had the same type songs, very poppy. Like I did like Bon Jovi a little bit, a little bit better than Poison, but Bon Jovi was very poppy as well. Now, Living on a Prayer and all those songs were very good on the radio. It was nothing come close to Anything Goes. My Michelle. My Michelle is about a daughter whose dad works in the porn industry. And she's kind of a hot mess. And things don't go exactly her way. So that song has an element of truth behind it. Because Guns N' Roses or Axe Rose at the time said that these songs do have that truth within the song. Uh, Night Train was written by, I thought it was written by uh, Slash. And Night Train isn't really about partying, but having a good time, according to Slash. But that song is another great song to go with. Out to Get Me, great song. You know how you get someone who's trying to get you, uh, they think that they're, they, they think that you did something wrong, and then they purposely come and try to find you and blame you for things that you didn't do or accuse you of things that you didn't do or make up stories about things that you didn't do. And that's what I get a lot about Out to Get Me. Okay, great song. Uh, Paradise City, probably one of the greatest, I don't know, anthems to find a pretty girl to have sex with. Take me down to the Paradise City. The grass is green. The girls are pretty. Oh, won't you please take me home? And the greatest thing about that video 
was you didn't see a pretty girl or any girl on the video. You just saw Guns N' Roses on an airplane going to England and they're playing for thousands of people. And it's black and white. And that's a very good song. And it's not it's not a tacky song like uh like Poison's song. Let's have a good time or whatever that song. I hate Poison. Poison was one of the worst bands out there. I can't just couldn't ha- I just couldn't handle it. So so then you have of course Welcome to the Jungle. I said stuff about that song. I mean you get Axel going crazy in the beginning of the song. You know where you are? It's time to wake up. It's time to die. Now, I don't want to die, but what a great way to to start a song up. Exactly that way. And you know what? The thing about Guns N' Roses is that they can write a soft and love song like Sweet Child Mine and and uh, and and November Rain of You Illusion 2. I mean, impatience. That's one thing I love about Guns N' Roses. Like, they can be so aggressive, but then write great love songs or a great love song in itself. And I'm never going to compare them to, to Elvis Presley or, or, or their Temptations or anything like that. But for someone like Axl Rose who can't sing to save to save his life, he could have hit those notes when he was younger. In the 80s, but you know what? Don't do drugs. I don't know if actually did drugs. I just think he lost his voice. Maybe he smoked too many cigarettes. But he lost his voice. He can't hit his high notes. He still sounds a lot better than Molly Crew, Vince Neil. Vince Neil and Molly Crew is just a shit show. But, of course, to all my people out there that have no idea who Vince Neil is and Molly Crew and the few that they have with Guns N' Roses. Well, uh, Izzy pa- uh, Izzy Stradler made a move on, I think was Vince Neil's girlfriend, or was it, I mean, he made a move on somebody's, somebody's somebody on Molly Crew's uh, girlfriend or spouse. And, uh, and I think Vince Neil punched him in the head. And then that point on, uh, Guns N' Roses stuck up for uh, for Izzy Stradler and that feud between Motley Crue and Guns N' Roses happened. It was right there. But, I do say, I, I do think one thing about Guns N' Roses. I do think that when they lost Izzy, and Izzy's not dead. He's still alive. He's, he's, he's a very functioning man. He, uh, he's a recovery, cover, recovered heroin addict or addict or I don't know what it was, but I think it was heroin. I think he's the one that wrote most, most of the songs to put them together. He's basically the John Lennon. What I would almost compare him to George Harrison. George Harrison isn't going to take a lot of credit for the songs that, that John Lennon and Paul McCartney wrote, but I think he put them together to make them sound a lot better. Okay? So I think Izzy Stradler is that guy. But I think Izzy Stradler is the guy who wrote a lot of their songs or helped Axe Rose write those songs. I think, to me, I can't say, but I think he was the one that was the one that wrote Patience, the one that wrote, uh, that helped Axel wrote write November Rain. I think that he's the one that probably wrote Sweet Child of Mine. You know, I'm going to tell you, <clears throat> I'll tell you the truth. The only song, in November, yeah, I said November Rain. The only song that didn't make it to the Appetite of Destruction was November Rain. And, the, and, and if they didn't put that song on You Illusion 1 or 2, I don't think You Illusion 1 or 2 would have been any good. Now, there's a lot of good songs like Locomotive, Coma, uh, Estrange. Great songs. If you're not really Guns N' Roses fans, you skip those songs in a in heartbeat because they're kind of 
weird to them, but to me, as you know, as strange as a good song from Illusion Two, uh, it really nails down to Axel's mental state of mind at the time of his life. Uh, you know, I think a lot of these rock stars uh, try come off like they're always happy, um, but everyone, everyone's a human being. Everyone is who they are. But I, th- I made this podcast starting talking about sports I went to my, my uh, to to my favorite band Guns N' Roses but you know what I mean my next tattoo is either going to be Wellen Jennings an EP for Elvis Presley but I have to figure out where I'm going to put those tattoos and I thought I was going to put them on top of where Guns N' Roses is but the problem is, it'd be right on my shoulder, or my shoulder blade, and it's not going to look good. It's going to be all cluttered, so I may not even do that. I may go to my sports team tattoo, put my favorite Detroit teams together. Detroit Red Wings, Detroit Pistons, Detroit Lions, Detroit Tigers. Well, I'm for sure going to put Detroit Tigers on there, for sure. And then I'm probably going to put Detroit lines on there, but the line itself, but I'm going to have the Detroit Tigers, the old English blue, the only, I mean, I'm sorry, the old English D, blue, that makes no sense, but that's basically what I'm going to do, but I'm going to make that half of my sleeve, the Guns N' Roses CD, I mean, the, the, the tattoo that I have on my right arm is quite huge, and the guy that gave me that tattoo was so surprised that I was very okay. I didn't squibble a little bit. I didn't cry. I didn't kind of, you know, I guess people that get their first tattoos, they kind of whimper and say it hurts or they complain. I didn't do none of that. I was like a seasoned veteran, supposedly. So, here's the thing. I think I'm, I think I'm getting too long with this podcast, and it is about almost an hour long podcast. Now I'm gonna end it here. I talked about sports. I talked about Jim Harbaugh, the Big Ten stuff. I talked about uh, other teams that probably cheated or cut corners. Alabama, uh, uh, New England Patriots, scouting, talk about football, basketball, baseball, and how coaches do certain things, and that's what scouting's all about. And then I went on a rant about my new tattoo, Guns N' Roses. I love Guns N' Roses. I love you guys. Uh, I wish that you guys put the whole band back together again. And re-release the Aptitude to Destruction. I think that'd be kind of cool. Put some new songs on there. Um, I think it'd be it'd be fun to see Axel slash slash Axel slash Duff, Izzy, and Popcorn Antler back together. And I and I wish that you guys come out with new songs and re-release. The Aptitude to Destruction. It'd be a lot of fun. I I have Metallica in, in town in Detroit. And I'm not a real Metallica fan. I do like the Black Album. But most most uh, Metallica fans do not like the Black Album. That's something I talked about sometime other, some other time. But thank you for listening to my podcast. Thank you for coming on my, uh, for showing up. The Crazy Dre Podcast Show. Uh, you can find me on Podbean Live. I'm going to try to do a podcast every Thursday, every Sunday, every, every, I think I'm going to do Thursday and Sunday and Monday. But it'd be sports on Thursday, sports on Sunday, I mean on Monday, and then Ron and I would do a podcast about life, about being disabled, uh, living with disability, and everything else with it. So, if you enjoy the podcast, you can find me on Spotify, 
Uh, you can find me on Podbean. You can find me on on uh, Apple Podcasts or any other uh, platform out there like podcast. So peace, love, and uh, be kind to each other.